Okay, enough of that noise. Um, this is What's Left in Albany. I'm your host, Dan Platt, here in the studio live. This program talks to anyone who does community projects or change makers in Albany and talks to them to get a sense of what's going on and why so we can better change ourselves and our environment and the world. So that is my half-remembered intro. And with me in the studio is... I guess this time, the mother and daughter co-founders of the South End Butterfly Sanctuary. Say hi, guys. Hello. Hi, Dan. And they are Laura and Olivia. So why don't you introduce yourselves in the way you want, and then give a brief overview of what is the South End Butterfly Sanctuary. Thank you, Dan, for this opportunity. We love talking about butterflies. So the South End Butterfly Sanctuary, our mission is to maintain a monarch butterfly way station. Don't worry, we're going to tell you what that is. To offer ecology opportunities that inspire and encourage Albany's inner city residents' interest in pollinators and ecological stewardship. I know that was a mouthful. And this That's is fine. My- so, don't, 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 you can do it now a little bit. Okay. Uh, you're on, Olivia. Hello, uh, I am Olivia, I am 15, and I started this project a couple years ago. So, then how we, I guess we could start with how you got started. Why the interest, and uh, what's the background? Don't skimp on context. South End Butterfly Sanctuary is located in here in the South End, right on the corner of Eagle, Eagle and Morton. Actually, it's at Eagle Street mm-hmm. between Morton and Catherine. There you go. It takes up a half block, and you, what you'd see there is a big mural with the word Albany scrolled across it, as well as some native plants, and we have some new features coming in. Before that, it didn't look like that. In fact, it was a pretty desolate area. Olivia, what did it look like uh, before we did something? Another vacant lot, as it were. It was basically a empty, uh, kind of ripped-up parking lot area, um, gravel everywhere. Nothing was really growing. At least de- it started as depaved. Like, was the parking lot, like, half intact, or all intact, and then you depaved it? Well, it counts on how far back in history you go. I suppose. Because there's actually, the mural is on some old horse carriages. This mm-hmm. is actually a very historic location. Sure. As, as the whole downtown area is. 
it used to be about 300 years ago, part of the Schuyler Mansion family home. Mm -hmm. And it was all fields for, mm -hmm. for as long as the eye could see back then. One of the great things, though, is monarchs have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, if not longer. Thousands, likely, yes. And they came through our area, hundreds and thousands of them a long time ago. That's not so much these days. Sure, sure. So, so one, again, I, I asked, uh, so how did you get started with the Butterfly Garden? Why, why a Butterfly Garden? Why in that particular? Well, I mean, that the particular area can just be based on uh, you, your locals. You live. Why don't you start with, you know, why, why you lay all that out? Well, I am third generation downtown Albany, and Olivia's fourth generation. She mm -hmm. can actually tell you what's so special about fourth generation. Is that a joke here? <laughs> Not exactly. Uh, the monarch butterflies are a do a four four generation cycle up from Mexico and, or down from Mexico and all the way up to Canada, and it takes four generations for them to make this trip, and then one generation of butter butterflies fly all the way down from Canada back to Mexico. This is a project because you asked about why we mm -hmm. are doing this in this very particular location. We have a lot of crime. We have a lot of drug use, a little mm -hmm. violence, and one way it to social help, problems is a general problem. yeah is to help our community by taking back that land and doing something beautiful with it, but not something just beautiful, but something that's actually assisting kids to be involved with nature, with uh, to keep the drugs away from that particular area, to beautify it, but also we have a history with our family as well. Um, in that particular location, it's been generation after generation for my family. Um, what were your parents doing? My mother was the original monarch lady, mm -hmm. and she's still alive. In fact, her birthday is today, and she's 91 years old. Congrats to her. Mm -hmm. She's in overtime now. <laughs> but we've been carrying on that, and Olivia is very much involved with sustainability and ecology. And for her, this is... Well, why don't, why don't we, yeah. Yeah. Take why don't you explain how um, what, what your interest in ecology and... Uh, well, I have done a few camps over the past few years to learn more, to learn more about how I can help others, and to kind of just learn as much as I can about ecology. I did um, environmental law, a program on that, and then uh, did other few programs related to that, so just so I could learn as much as I possibly could. Uh, through what organizations do you call? Let's see, um, the DEC... Radix, which is located mm -hmm. here in downtown Albany. Block away. Yep. And then, um, let's see. I'm trying to remember the name of the other camp. Oh, uh, also did a lot through 4-H and a class at RPI. All right. Olivia's actually done a lot of research about how monarchs, uh, their whole life cycle. and she's We'll, we'll take it away, uh, Olivia. Why, what, why, why don't we go through basic questions? Why monarchs? Why a butterfly garden? Um, why not a vegetable garden? Or is one already there? Uh, well, there is some vegetables in our garden, which I'll get to later. But I think we chose monarchs just because of a little story that I've heard about my uh, grandmother seeing thousands of monarchs in the same backyard. And then when we first started this, uh, we, that year we saw a total of one monarch butterfly. And that was pretty sad. And we decided that we had to do something for the community and for the butterflies themselves. Mm -hmm. So we decided to create a garden. And we do have 
vegetable garden, like in our in our um, backyard of vegetable garden. But we figured that we would be giving back to the community uh, butterflies and other pollinators by creating a space full of milkweed and flowers. Dan, do you, do you know how a butterfly eats? Um, it's been a while. Why don't you remind me? It's I, I was educated in these things as my father was also involved with butterfly activism, you could say. Uh, Save the Pine Bush was very much a campaign to save butterflies, though it was more about saving ecology and, and land from the bulldozer, well as just uh, just general nature conservation. Though you shouldn't, nature shouldn't have to be pretty to be conserved, nor to be to actually have uh, a natural built environment, a human built environment that is actually ecological as well. It doesn't have to be separate. These aren't separate things. Butterflies are, but are a pretty good visual stand-in for the health of an ecosystem, right? So why don't you go into the, how that is, or why? How do you feed a butterfly? Well, it, it it's they have this um, kind of straw-like tongue called a proboscis, and that unfurls, and they are able to stick that down deep into a flower, and then suck up the nectar from that. Right. But the uh, problem is when raising butterflies, it's sometimes you can't exactly raise them outside for the first few steps. So what you have to do is once they fully emerge from their cocoons is you have to create this uh, nectar-like substance of honey and water. And then from there, you have to um, we use a toothpick to unfurl this tiny little, little proboscis. And from there, we uh, co- coax their proboscis into this um, our nectar and let them drink. We have to do this two times a day to each individual butterfly. So you've been raising butterflies. Um, how long and how extensive does it get? It has been two years, and in the first year, I believe we started off with, was it 100 butterflies? And then the next year, we did 50. Well, give me a timeline. Uh, when did you start this project and, you know, and, and, go, and go by stages? So during, it's development. So during COVID, we... As Livia had said, we noticed another COVID project. One butterfly mm-hmm. that showed up on the property from the milkweeds that originated back from who knows how long. Mm-hmm. So, but they were there in your backyard. They've they've been there for a long time. In fact, they might be the the longest standing milkweeds in in that area in the neighborhood. Sure. Mm-hmm. So we first knew about monarchs and decided to get some milkweeds because that's where anyone can start. If you want to help the butterflies, especially if you want to help the monarchs, get milkweeds. And so we had to go and which, what was the name of the program that we, that helped us? Monarch Watch. And so we called them up and we got them, uh, the milkweeds. From there, Olivia learned more about why they are so precious and why they're so important. And part of the challenge is, in the wild, if uh, how, many, how many does a, a, a monarch produce? Uh, I believe that a female monarch butterfly can lay up to 400 eggs, and sadly, only about eight of those survive to adulthood. So that's why Olivia decided to raise them, because if you figure, if only eight of them are surviving from 400 in the wild, they're going to go extinct. Yes, but then there's other dangers after the, the eight. Or seven. Mm-hmm. Anywhere in nature, right? What are the things? What are some of the things that kill them? Well, for starters, um, lack of habitat, which we are slowly destroying. And then when it comes to milkweed, um, there is a lot of, uh, I believe there's a lot of acidic 
soil that makes the milkweed just a bit too toxic for mm-hmm. the monarchs. And also you need the um the right species or the right species of milkweed itself, and then you have to have enough of it for the butterflies to want to go to that area, lay their eggs, and uh, eat. Yeah. So is there any the things you these problems have in common is that they are a result of the human intervention of this area. It's not just oh, these weak butterflies can't take a little bit of a gust of wind. They would be doing fine, as you said. There are hundreds. But, of course, even in your grandmother's day or great-grandmother's day, there's still a lot of pollution in Albany, but I suppose a lot less eco, uh, ecosystem destruction as well. Sadly. As we had agriculture. Yes. You, you, you got it, Dan. You, you hit the nail on the head. Sadly, pesticides are one of the biggest killers of all pollinators. Yes. And that is... It's not just bees, of course. Yes. Uh, pollinators in general. Monarchs are just one of the pollinators. What are the rest? <laughs> Let's see, there's quite a few. We have mm-hmm. um, bee flies, hummingbirds, bats, beetles. There's certainly a lot. And pollinators are... I can also are- butt in with a tip uh, for home tips when, if there are bats getting stuck in places, the, wait till it's, give them a space to leave and wait till it's night and don't have any lights on and they will leave. But don't try to force them and... It's okay. They will not hit you if you get in the way. They're good at not hitting things. That's what the echolocation's for. I, I deal with it's It's very happenstance, but I encounter there's a bat, and everyone's freaking out. It's nothing to freak out over. But anyway. That, bats are, there are one mammal of the big friends. pollinators. Oh, yeah. But in, in the south end. And they're in trouble. Yeah. There's tons of diseases killing them off. Yep. In the south end, we don't have as many bats as you'd say uh, bees and, and beetles. Sure. Um, but these are also, and, and butterflies, these are all our major pollinators. And unfortunately, here in the South End, as we urbanize, like a lot of cities, we're losing those wild areas. Sure. And this year, we noticed very few pollinators in general. In fact, if you go to the community gardens that are around here, I'm watching the squash plants. They have big, beautiful flowers. They have lots of leaves, but there's no fruit. There's, there's no squash actually yeah. coming because if you don't have the pollinators, they're not, that's right. Because we're, we're trying to lay down one layer of an ecosystem while the rest are basically just not there. So, I mean, when it comes to growing anything in this city, you have to bring in your own dirt or make your own dirt because all the dirt is, as you say, too acidic from century of pollution. And cleanup efforts would be, you know, actually cleaning it up, not just, but I mean, you can also turn soil by planting the right things, like nitrogen-fixing things, and then maybe that rises the pH level, or lowers it in this case. So there's definitely like those kind of issues to think about. Is your butterfly garden contributing to the healing of this lot in particular, or have you had to import all the dirt that you're planting things in to make sure that the plants are not wilting within a year or well, half a year? It started out as a not just a parking lot, but it was concrete on top. At some point there was a building there and the building mm-hmm. got demolished and then the city put hard paver concrete. I'm not sure what it's called down. So when we had tried to drill into it. Oh, I know what you mean. It, they, they paved over. Well, it's got some sort of hard rock on it that solidifies. Uh-huh. And so if you try to dig into it, which is what we tried to do just recently, because Olivia's just got a grant for a... With Block Ambassadors and uh, a Mm -hmm. grant, we were able to get enough 
uh, funding for a kiosk. So, you know, when mm-hmm. you enter a, a nature preserve and in the front there's this, this is an info tent. board, yeah, by, mm-hmm. by kiosk. There's different kinds of kiosks. There's a kiosk that someone can stand in. There's a kiosk that's like a, a booth, an info booth. But that's not booth. This is more of a space for bulletin boards. Yes, and it, a large also, pole with, but with a shelter. Well described. This one also has a bench because there is a bus stop there, and mm-hmm. a long time ago There's there no was bench. a building, and yeah, it's kind of it's kind of open open area. Um, but the bench is there, so when a person is sitting, they get to read about pollinators, and also there'll be a free book library there, and they can tour the garden area and look at the native plants. And what's the cost of that? It's open. It's just out there and open. No, no, no. I mean, days. I mean, what's what's the size of the grant? What's the cost of the kiosk? Olivia's raised, I believe, sixty seven hundred dollars so far. Okay. Uh, on her own. Uh, I've won a few contests for a few different organizations. Let's see. I made a documentary, a few videos to. This this was the uh, like the 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 input. The uh, I mean, you, it's not not just an essay contest, but it can be any media now. Yeah, and we. We didn't win all of them, but we got a lot of money mm-hmm. from different ones, and then a few to help import flowers, mm-hmm. and members of the community also would help, and I think they brought over some seeds and plants. You shifted to the kiosk, but my question was, did you import your dirt as well as the plants? How was the reconstruction process? The city of Albany has been very helpful. In fact, all of the South End, I've found they're very helpful for helping ecology programs. And they gave us dirt, which was fabulous because there was no way otherwise to do this, to bring back what used to be. We've Mm -hmm. taken out, like they say, you take out the parking lot and put in a paradise. And so we got the dirt and then little by little, mind you, none of, neither one of us were gardeners, were But you learn how as you go. Yeah. Because you have the will um, Mm -hmm. to get something done. And uh, as as I love to say, like, you know, your inputs are pretty low. Like, as long as you keep your overhead low, you can do whatever you want. If your overhead's too grand, that's fundraisable. If it's two million, uh, it's something else entirely. Okay, yeah. So let's go on to your event. Um, So you're doing an event at at your lot. I'll just call it that. Oh, the Butterfly Garden. Well, let's see, the South End Butterfly Sanctuary. So it's a way station for monarchs. So at how go in, go into the logistics of, uh, you mentioned your efforts to raise butterflies. Have there been any natural, has it been active or successful? Have you seen any success? Though you've only been doing this two years, but uh, have you seen some success in more butterflies than usual? Or, I mean, have, have, have they attracted these migrators? So I believe it was the first year we got some um, caterpillar larvae from Monarch Watch itself, and while we were uh, in the process process of raising those butterflies, we um, went out to the garden to check on the milkweed, and we noticed quite a few eggs and larvae on them already, and I believe from that we found and successfully raised 25 more monarchs from monarch butterflies that just happened to pass by. So you're transporting them off the plants and doing some incubation so that they're not getting eaten by wasps, I guess? Mm -hmm. And I believe we just left them there. It would be a much smaller amount that actually survived. Mm-hmm. From the three monarchs that were wild, which is incredible even to get that, mm-hmm. we were able to get 25 to adulthood. So, I'm sorry, three three that laid, three adults that laid their eggs. So that's 
1,600 eggs, we'll say, mm. we were able to get 25 adults in the wild. Again, it would be lucky if we got Eight. one or two. Yeah, yeah. So having those wild monarchs, and then in addition, the monarchs that Olivia raised, we are able to let, let out about 75 monarchs last year. Okay. Definitely an ecological reconstruction effort to be proud of and continue. Um, what kind of, well, you have, you have, a, you have plans in the near future for an event. Tell me about it. Well, some things are happening right now. And just like anything, if you build it, they will come. And we're not just talking about pollinators. We're talking about people. Mm-hmm. So we got the garden and now we're building the nature kiosk. We mentioned Olivia uh, we, we had to have a logo. Like any good nonprofit, you've got to have an image. And so Olivia actually created the, the logo that a, a local professional sign artist took and mm-hmm. revamped it and, electri- and made it perfect along the lines. Uh-huh. Uh, that was uh, Frank's signs. So we're very thankful because when we have our Pollinator Day celebration, we're going to have a sign reveal. Uh-huh. as well as a ribbon-cutting ceremony for the nature kiosk. And all that's going to happen during our, is it our third annual Pollinator Day celebration? Our first Pollinator Day celebration, again, we're not experts. We never, we just came at this as build it and they will come. Right. And, and your neighbors as well. Yeah. That's important. And we wanted to bring the community into this. So uh, just putting it together, there was no advertisement that we just kind of put together an event. Yeah, word of mouth. But I invited about seven or eight nonprofits to come as long as well as the uh, city of some of city officials uh-huh. and our local government people. And you know, when you start adding in people, things get a little bigger and bigger. Yeah. And in our event, we ended up having about 150 to 200 people show up naturally Mm-hmm. as well as the ribbon cutting, and we released those butterflies in the presence and with about 50 kids. And so we had a we had a storyteller that impromptly came. We had a craft table. It became huge. In fact, this year, when we do this, I believe on September 10th, we So are, it's soon. It's September 12th. Yeah, it's I was getting up. around to ask you when. It, so it's this Sunday. We were trying to time it with the monarchs that come to Albany, but mm-hmm. unfortunately we didn't see too many this year. Mm-hmm. So we're we're doing it on a bit of a delay. Um, so it would have been soon or during the summer. Yes. Monarchs in Albany typically come become adults in the first and second week of August. So I hope other people got to see them. We saw one Mm-hmm. Two days ago, one monarch. I'm sure there's more in the area. But... Olivia, why don't you uh, speak to your experience of the last uh, your, when you, when you do these events? Have, have you played a part? Um, the forming of the nonprofit. Have you learned? I mean, you did you did the legal environmental legal camp, right? Did that played a part? Yes, I, I, that was kind of this was this year, so I haven't really had to apply what I've learned there. Sure. But um, through the past years, I have been representative and i would just uh, be by the butterflies where we were keeping them and i would just explain to anyone who came by a lot of children what was going on i would show them the feeding process and sometimes uh when it's towards the end of the event and we we're about to let them out i would just allow them to uh perch on their fingers and kind of teach them how to safely handle butterflies because for kids they might just be interested in seeing this very on um, the inside. Pretty, yeah. You know, there's this pretty flying thing, and they should know how to handle it properly, mm-hmm. as well as adults. Definitely for all ages. Um, and she did this when she was 13, talking yes. to a crowd. Sure. and pre-teen and... to teen. 
what other kind of ecological lessons are there you've got have you do you have for or about pollinators let's go on to i think dan you said that you know well i, I can dig into my past um so as i mentioned my father mark platt my masterpiece uh was part of save the pine bush and that was the not just the monarch butterfly, but the blue carner butterfly, which is endangered, and also, but the monarch is much much more really known. iconic is the word I want, and so and more known. But anyway, when I was in elementary school at Thomas O'Brien Elementary in here in Albany, uh, we he started. I think he put together the effort to start a butterfly garden there. So it was with some school, school district support. Um, I don't know if the money came from them originally or just for the upfront cost of it, but it was put on the back of toast facing the fields uh, in Lincoln Park. And it was roughly 15 feet wide with, you know, four foot half with five feet on each side. And it was kind of basically two five foot rows of plants with the tags and info, infographics of sorts about each pollinator plant. And uh, we also did a, at least a, as a project in fourth grade or fifth grade, whatever it was, I think it was fourth. And we did do some butterfly raising as well. I think, I don't know if we started with eggs, but I think we started with like imported pupils or, or something of that nature. I don't remember the details, but we, it was, you know, part of the elementary school lessons of, you know, life, uh, life cycles of animals. And, but it's not good news in the future. So there was the putting together of it, and there was a good amount of effort and volunteer effort in starting it, but not so much in maintaining it, because I think the promise was the school was going to maintain it, but they pretty much didn't. And as the kind of son of the person who was in charge, who started the effort, or did the effort, I was like taking responsibility for it. I'm like, okay, I'll clean it up and you know we need, we need to repaint the uh, fence we had a white picket fence like let's start with repainting it i think this was actually three years on right so it this needed... is what year what were you it was like nine late 90s so uh 96 let's say or nine actually more like 98 let's put it between those years then after three years there was no maintenance so it was looking pretty shabby and i wanted to unshabby it and I don't know if that meant replanting things or just making it look nicer at the very least. And I asked the school for um, the supplies. I made a list. I was I got two other people, I think, interested in helping me, friends. And uh, they basically said, oh, no, there's no money for this. And that was, a hard last, that was my first hard lesson of, like, if you're going to want resources, you need to fight for it. You need to be political about it. I don't know. My my father did not help me beyond that. I'm not sure why. I didn't ask him, I think, there was the problem. I did not reach out to him after this happened. I just kind of gave up because the adults who I was supposed to rely on said no. And I was like, well, they said no. What my father can do? Of course, this is little kid brain. So, <laughs> But I know a lot better now, and I don't know how it would have went if... But I didn't know better. So that's great that your dad gave you a little bit of an awareness and instruct. Oh yeah, and it, it wasn't just going to their uh, monthly fundraising dinners mm -hmm. um, for Save the Pine Bush, which gave me awareness that because I, I would see money, money changing hands, but I didn't like how is this enough for whatever you're doing? Yeah. By the sounds of it, because in the '90s they were either being sued by the city for millions of dollars which, again, they wouldn't have. So I guess that's the point of not fundraising a lot, is that you don't have the money to take. 
<laughs> uh, but you're suing the city to enforce water and environmental regulations like the Clean Air and Water Act to save waterflies so that there is something of a nature preserve, which the city is proud of now. But, um, well, actually, even when it was Mayor Corning, it was like, okay, we're going to set aside this amount, but no more. Everything north I-90 and everything south can just be bulldozed because, you know, it's cost of doing business. The Save the Pine Bush organization is is something near to dear to us too. Did you know that, Dan? Yes, we ran into each other at a recent funeral for a uh, deceased member, John Wilcott, who I should probably I'll do a memorandum somehow. I'll work it in. But mm-hmm. he is one of the founders of mm-hmm. Save the Pine Bush, and your dad and my my dad were were also very, as you just said, very heavily involved when Olivia's grandfather Rocco Ferrandino. Rocco Farron at the time, uh, in 1977, put out an ad. I don't know if you knew about this. He had put out an ad in the Knickerbocker magazine or Knickerbocker news. That was theirs, correct? Mm -hmm. That was theirs or was it? No, no, the Knickerbocker. That's right. It was, it was the uh, competitor to the Times Union or was it owned by the same family? I I don't know if it's the same one. I'm looking into this now. Uh, I'm reading it. When I'm not interviewing, I'm reading a history. It's kind of like the Pepsi arena turns into the MPV arena. Yes. You know, the name keeps changing. But the Knickerbocker was the, as far as I know, that was the uh, the newspaper of the time, maybe along with the Times Union. Yeah, there too. And he put a ad out that said, wanted Carter Blue Butterflies dead or alive. Now, that sounds kind of crazy because it is. Mm-hmm. Because at the time, people, when they read that, it sparked an interest in, oh, wait a minute. I could get money for a Carner Blue. Wait, what is a Carner Blue? And that was the whole point of it, Uh um, is people were on the hunt for the person who put out this ad. But that was a marketing ploy. And my dad, when it finally happened, he came out and said that now that you're interested in it, let's learn more about them. And it cascaded into... That didn't didn't upset people? Well, it brought it brought it to the attention of the media, which sure. was the point. So you, my dad, your dad, they they found ways to bring that attention, and now mm-hmm. the incredible thing that we have now of this pine bush is something we need to save and keep going. And the Carner blue butterflies are like cousins to the the monarchs. So by putting the monarchs here, we're we're also giving a tip of the hat to save the to to the pine bush yes. uh, with the Carner blues. But I heard that you, you, when you were talking about the way you grew up, Dan, mm-hmm. uh, you got it. You like me, we, we, we had some nature in our life. Tell me, when you were a teenager walking around Albany, what was your experience in, we'll say, the, the, nat- the urban natural world? What did you do outside? Well, and this is sort of um, why I'd like to take my father's legacy further. And because his and the 60s legacy is let's conserve more of the sub- suburbs or things that are out here because he moved up here in Albany to be, be, do more hiking, basically. And he was always in the pine bush hiking and walking around. And more so than I ever was, I was more dragged out. And, of course, I don't have to be dragged now, but I'm not doing it very frequently. I'm not in love with it like him. But I'm also more about bringing, as others are like you are, bringing the ecology here. And not seeing the separation between city, country, a pr- nature preserve. I think it can all be integrated. Um, so, Olivia, what, how would you say, what would you say your relationship with nature has been over your uh, life so far? Well, uh, a good part of my life, I've been in downtown Albany. But before that, uh, my house was basically surrounded by 
uh, small forest and woods and nature, and we、uh, raised some animals. And I guess just once I moved here, I I realized that I felt like something should be done.、Mm-hmm. And something's missing. Yeah, something definitely seemed missing. I mean, there was trash everywhere, which is seems more common now. But I guess just from my young brain seeing all of this when I came from an area that. Didn't, I mean, of course, everywhere has pollution, but、yeah. I didn't see it as often. It's more like you don't see the trash, but the trash just goes in the bins versus the, there are no bins to put them in, or the bins crack in half too easily, and so on, and so on. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that、uh, move to Albany kind of really opened my mind to things.、Mm-hmm. To me, littering isn't the problem; it's the fact that the trash is made in the first place. Oh,、yes. oh we could、so. we could talk all day about that one. Lit, litter, We though, still have quite a bit of time.、Um, we're not running out. Litter in the South End is yeah, is a constant challenge. It's it's actually to wildlife. You know, we 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 think of litter. It's it's something. It it gets thrown. It gets、mm-hmm. thrown away. But it moves around. Oh yeah, actually, when it's blown, it settles in places. I mean, there's heavier stuff, but the, most of it isn't heavy enough, so it migrates. And sometimes it's like, well, how did all this get here? Is there? Gaggles of people coming by to you know just dropping their you know candy wrappers or, well not just candy but any kind of wrapper、uh, plastic bags I mean there's a lot there's less of those since we're starting you know with the bag fees and all that slowly but surely you know we'll we'll be there'll be less New York State bird the tra the, the plastic bag certainly less than trees around I think I haven't seen as many. Did me Dan that kind of like the migration story of the monarch the the story of of Sebs actually can. Go back even further because to a land far, far away, Nicaragua, where we saw something. When we talk about litter, the litter that we have here, and it goes into our water systems.、Yeah. It goes somewhere. And、mm-hmm. Olivia, at age nine, saw something when when we went on a fa- family vacation. What did you say? When we went to the、you're, beach. No. Yeah. So, so you're in the tropics. We uh, you know, instead of seeing like clean, pristine beach full of uh. Happy people just in the water.、Um, basically, for as far out as I could see, there was just trash everywhere in the water and on the sand too, where you couldn't really tell where the、uh, sand ended and the ocean started. And、so、there was a lot of children picking through the garbage, trying to find stuff for them to bring home.、Um, some seagulls and other animals just also picking through that, seeing if anything. That they could have because the ocean was basically, well, I guess, clogged with all this trash and pollution. Yeah, and I, I see the phone come in the form of TikToks and other short mini videos of look at these people cleaning out their their stream, whether it be Bali, it doesn't matter the country. the The streams, the waterways are completely clogged and choked with trash. But it's like it's not the cleaning it up that inspires me. It's some like, but again, it wouldn't be a Flashy, attention-getting、uh, enterprise well, thing to not have the trash in the first place, right? And I know there's like the campaign for pl-、uh, to, against plastic straws. It's a very minor amount of the trash, but again, it's not about the individual consumption. It's about the companies that produce it out of plastics, and and a little and a smattering of small businesses. I don't think is enough because you had you really have to go up the, the chain, or you have to make it. Some kind of public policy to not have any, you know, and of course, just increasing. Well, I'm going off a tangent, but、uh, I'm, I'm geometrical. The just raising the、uh, the deposit to for 
recyclables, a nickel to a dime or a quarter, just so that collecting is actually worth it, because mm-hmm. uh, it really isn't. And it's it would it grind me when I ran for mayor. A candidate suggested, like, oh, people, you know, need to be shown that their trash could be their treasure. I'm like, that's not the reason people should not litter or create trash. I mean, it really should just be the trash goes somewhere. And if it's not poisoning you, it's poisoning someone else. And their trash is going to poison, come and poison you here as suburbs dump their stuff here, as they always have, as we've invited them to as city policy to cover our budget because we won't raise taxes or have fair taxation, et cetera, et cetera. You were talking about bottles. Just two days ago, I went to Price Chopper, which is the only bottle recycling place within the South End. There used to be mm-hmm. one down near on, on South Pearl, near the Dollar General. Unfortunately, it got vandalized. So we're left with one. And there was a gentleman there. Was it an actual redemption center where they actually just take the bags or count them out and you don't have to go through a machine that takes half an hour? I, I don't think it was that at least that technologically advanced. But it doesn't least. have to be, but I mean, it could still be fat. Actually, no, the, the auto machines mm-hmm. take longer because you're feeding them in one by one. Yeah. instead of being counted out by a person who may not be paid well, but I mean, they're paid. It's something that's not automated. That would be nice to see one of those, but we didn't have that. We have the ones where you, yes. yeah, you just put it in. And when I was there, the man who was representing price chopper was there overseeing that, department as he called it the recycle area mm-hmm. explaining that they do call it department yeah. <laughs> explaining that there's not enough here and explaining that um, they're looking to do things there, there's actually a bill right now in legislation to raise the uh, amount on bottles uh, that that's something. it's on the table right yeah those that committee yeah yet. but part of it also is having especially in areas that have e- equality challenges and injustices and and the south end which has been historically underserved yeah uh, having something where we can do that would be great and he and one of the things that's on the table right now with the south end one of the things that's on the table with the local legislation and where local government is the south end strategic survey have you heard about this the general kind of planning um, that I see, I mean, it's, I think it's been, has it been active for years now, or am I thinking of a different plan? Well, it started in 2007. But you say this is a survey, so mm-hmm. this is... It oh, started yeah. in 2007. It had a different name, mm-hmm. um, but more recently, I believe in 2021, okay, a new plan ago. was created out yeah. of the old plan. Because mm-hmm. very- none of it was implemented. As you as got it. You got it. But now they're putting their their things on paper. Mm-hmm. I'm actually very proud because somebody who's like you, we've grown up in Albany and yeah. a lot of the time felt left out. You know, like things just didn't happen sure. here. Uh, well, yeah, because you can make you can make community plans, but they're just wishes without the resources. And the thing about Albany is that the resources have never been allocated because mm-hmm. um, there has been no public spending unless it's in particular areas where people demand it. Um, and that's where, where politics comes in. So let's so bring this, back, this... I want to bring Olivia in. She's what? Uh, oh yeah. So let, let's talk about the, um, since you start talking about legislation, I think you're teeing yourself up for the, the segue to pollinator legislation. So what is, you can go from the bottom level of government up or what, what's, 
how how is it how is legislation going to help pollinators what is um of course i no 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 i wanted to start with what can residents do first residents um they could start off by planting milkweeds um there's a large range of i guess they could call them butterfly flowers uh flowers that uh, monarch butterflies typically prefer and then uh outside of butterflies bees for bees there's well i mean there's a whole general range of flowers yes. and then of course because if they're in these gardens they're not nesting in your house of course right and then uh, of course stop using pesticides encourage others around you to stop using pesticides um if you have a community garden that you could participate in maybe yeah then, then nature yeah. can heal maybe plant some milkweeds there or, I mean, the most important thing is, of course, spreading the word, spreading knowledge to others in the South End, and especially to children and anyone who would like to get involved, I would say. You're a proponent of letting some, um, taking a bit of your lawn and making it go wild or just not mowing it? Yeah, I mean, whatever they feel comfortable with. And also if they just, even like windowsills, um, little what's the word, like flower boxes on windowsills, mm -hmm. those could be used not just for uh, vanity, but for, I mean, if you don't want to do milkweed, there's just a variety of flowers like marigolds and other things that will help the uh, pollinators. And these would be flowers like the marigolds count as the flower that will keep coming back, or do you have to? Because something that annoys me is they need to keep going back to a nursery to get the already grown flowers and putting them in for the aesthetics, whether they're for pollinators or not, but as far as my block's concerned, we've been putting them in in August. Well, Dan, uh, beauty has to be perpetuated. <laughs> so annually, yes, fla most flowers are annual, mm -hmm. and that means you have to plant them seed by seed or get the, get them uh, from your store as seedlings. Are there any perennials? There are, but again, we're not... Like the milkweeds. They, they, you mm -hmm. said they, they lasted, so that is that a prime... Milkweeds will keep coming back. However, we have a horrible aphid problem. Oh, the aphids. That was that was such an incredible... What kind of bug is that? Go ahead. You can explain. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what kind of bug they are, but they are small, either like black or orange or red bugs. And they flooded our milkweed plants from the bottom to the top. And I, I'm not sure... They're damaging the plant. Which also takes and and you, no no room for butterflies. Of course, and there's no room for them to lay their eggs. And by the time they hatch and they're getting ready to uh, start eating some of the leaves, they, they can't because it's, it's all gone. taken over by aphids. Nature is chaos, but you know what? But is there not some plants that would then um, repel the aphids? Mint, perhaps. Oh. Well, well said. There's actually when we got aphids. What's incredible about nature is nature's answer showed up you remember what animal showed up what did we we saw an animal that was eating meat yes uh praying mantis which oh, ended mantises. up eating the aphids but uh -huh. i believe they're also a predator to monarch butterflies themselves so it's a yeah kind of a tricky situation dan we got to watch something so incredible because not only did the monarch show up but we became a wildlife center the some of the can you tell me you're talking uh, about in the lot by the way not your backyard in the or... in the in the lot okay what animals just name some animals that you've seen in urban downtown south end woodchucks woodchucks okay rabbits. what else rabbits other types of varmints uh who get road killed and sadly uh, it's because the vehicles are so darn big <laughs> i mean i'm I, I feel like endangered wildlife on my bike when i'm going down the hill in the morning 
the view. The, it's just because they're so big because they're taking up more room. Well, besides um, the but go on, yeah. So I, I wanted to follow up. How do people get these seeds for the milkweed or, or these other pollinator plants? Just, can they get them from you? Do, you? do you seed collect? Do you provide them? Do you have a seed bank, or uh, should they be going to uh, you know seed websites? Where where should they go? Where if you, you go on Facebook, there are some local butterfly groups, uh, pollinator groups. We have Five Rivers, the Nature Center, who's very helpful in helping people to establish gardens. Well, besides a web search, why don't you just say, we go say to, I'm not on We go media. to Monarch Watch for milkweeds mm-hmm. and, for butter, and for butterfly larvae. Uh, beekeepers are also very knowledgeable about pollinators and native plants. You can go to Cornell mm-hmm. University, Cornell Cooperative Extension. Cooperative Extension, thank you. They probably are our number one local source, local source for getting information from master gardeners to master people who, who know more about this. And, and like we, we just started, and that's really where everyone can go, is just starting. Uh, in your backyard, not doing things that will harm. Starting there, just don't do things that hurt and harm, and then doing pro- the things that help out. And another thing, I w- it was mentioned that we had a lot of uh, wild milkweed that grew in our. Um, but the problem with that is that I believe that type of milkweed is a bit too. Um, the leaves are a bit too hard for the newborn larvae and caterpillars to chew through, and it's not their preferred type of milkweed. So it's it's not the one that attracts the most butterflies. So that's why we had to go through Monarch Watch to find the uh, the right kind for them. There were other animals that we saw in the garden, but once Dan, you, did, you mentioned a few of them. But here's some ones you would never think and that showed up. Skunks. Oh, of course, skunks, pheasants. Mm-hmm. We actually raised birds, right? Yeah. We, we more raised, more exotic, well, not exotic, mm-hmm. but uncommon birds. We ended up raising, I believe, nineteen pheasants in our ba- in in that area raising from them. raising them from from But do you mean they're wild pheasants or do you mean they they were there and you were supervising? Well, we we actually like the monarchs. We got them from Cornell Cooperative Extension. Oh, okay. So they you're saying you brought in program. the pheasants. Those we we brought in, okay. but they ended up staying like pets what 4 months, Olivia? Uh, the expectation is that they would take flight and not stay put. Yes, but they, they okay. kept staying, so they became residents of the South End Butterfly Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. We also saw a few other animals. I believe besides chicks and squirrels, we also found uh, tree frogs mm-hmm. and uh, opossums, quite a few of those. Any snakes? Uh, if there was, I don't think I saw any of them. Okay. But, um, of course. Yeah, opossums yeah. are pretty common now. I say woodchuck, yeah. I think maybe them confusing mm-hmm. the two. Or they're they're both there. Our opossums that came to the the garden. It was so fascinating to see this animal. It's at first glance when I first saw it. We actually had a we had a cage. The, the way we first came to it is we mm-hmm. had some stray cats in the in the in the area. Sure. So we wanted to catch them and bring them to the humane society. So we put up a, a a cage, and when I came out to see what kind of cat we got, which cat we got, it turned out to be this hideous looking furred animal that had the face of like a teeth of a crocodile and fur. I didn't you, know what it you was. Fought, wait, wait. So you thought you were catching a wild cat, but it was an opossum. It came out to a possum, but that's not where it ended. It was one possum. We left it there. Not sure what to do. We had to go inside and look on Google. What is this animal? Uh, not even knowing what it was. Once we figured out it was a possum, you the next monsters. Oh, you're taining the, these 
noble beast. Um, but because <laughs> again, his... when it comes to the when it comes to the street cats, pretty sure the humane society has a policy of just let them colonize in one place. We'll keep tabs. We'll give them shots. Mm-hmm. A few um, now that it's uh, better are, better are that already... they live in peace in a, in a vacant building than get spread out and tossed to the winds and so on. But that would have gotten in the way of our chickens, Stan. Yeah, I see. We're one of the few people who have a license for chickens. For the chickens. Uh, the cats that we actually caught were mostly, we were going for kittens mm-hmm. themselves. So if anyone was interested in adopting them, because it might be harder for like full-grown, sure. mature adult cats. Um, but with the opossums, the opossum we found uh, turned out to have, I believe it was 19 baby opossums in sure. a pouch. And uh, that was also an interesting experience for us. Because we had to. Oh, that's the surprise yeah. you were leading up to. Yeah, that was, okay. that was basically a surprise. So we had to take care of them for a little bit, just to get her settled, give her some food, and then we ended up letting her go. And they stayed for quite a while too, which is, it's there was so many pockets of nature that most people don't know about, and that seems to be a lot where a lot of the places where the animals congregate. And I'm just happy that our garden uh, was one of the areas that they came to. So, yeah. so why don't you tell me about the. Um pollinator legislation i'm pretty sure there's like pollinator friendly legislation is it is it mostly based around the need to ban slash limit uh pesticides especially the type that use the neuropeptides the, the roundup from oh it's called monsanto roundup. yeah oh, but Mon- well, monsanto's yeah but monsanto's they roundup. changed their name so again mm, yes of course because of all the well we got used to saying their name Bring public attention to their evils. City parks. Yes. Uh, the good news is I believe it passed in the last the last legislation session. But it's, yes, what you just said, to reduce the amount of bad po- po- pesticides being used on larger bases by, by companies. There's mm-hmm. a company, EarthKind, that actually gave one Olivia one of her grants. And that was wonderful. It's a non-toxic uh, option. And so that exists. One of the things I wanted to share is there was a there's a big dream we have. You want to hear it? It's what you put at the bottom of your talking <laughs> points. But yeah, well, 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 I mean, I would end with a question of what your future plans are. Do you have a, well, I'm sure, short term, intermediate, and long term? So why don't you just go through those in that order? Well, at Sebs, we've already hosted some school groups, and one uh, one group of kids actually created a huge mural of Albany. So we've made this a tourist attraction where we've actually had people from Germany find us and from Italy come find us. So we're on the map now, which is awesome. The big dream is to help kids with nature deficit disorder, is mm-hmm. bringing these or these ecological centers in. And one of Olivia's dreams is to make it to the place where that fourth generation goes. So uh, down in Mexico, mm-hmm. around the Day of the Dead, all the monarchs flock to this one forest, and I believe that if you go during the right time, you'll just see trees surrounded and full of monarch butterflies, just like as if they were leaves, and one of my dreams is to be able to go see that, because I've heard in the past few years that uh, the amount of butterflies has, of course, decreased, mm-hmm. and I would love to see that uh, before, before anything gets worse. Pack light. Don't add to the harm. Well said. Okay, I guess we can wrap up. Do you have any other parting? Do you have what? What are the um, short term or what are the medium term medium term plans for the uh, butterfly garden? 
well, we hope that people come. Will to, you have bees someday? Uh, we're beekeeping? actually beekeepers. We have raised chickens. We have raised pheasants. We have raised monarchs. Olivia is our in-house beekeeper, and she, uh, you can tell them about the hives. Well, we don't have bees at this time currently. We just had some. We're, we're going to get some soon, probably the next season if possible. But we we have the beehives right out in the garden, but a bit farther back, so like behind all the plants. So they're kind of uh, hidden and kept away from the public. But it's, it's an, another amazing experience because those bees are able to pollinate our garden. And of course, they spread out uh, for miles to pollinate other our gardens and other areas. And it was just, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to see. And, uh, you know, cool it also bees. contributes. Yeah. As a parent and working with my daughter on something that helps not only her generation, but for generations to come, that's the goal, is to help everyone in the community to... Think it'll make, take- a, make it a second Radix Center? <laughs> Radix is awesome. And we're, we're each finding our little niche, but all together, mm-hmm. we're making a difference. Yeah. And Dan, thanks for bringing us on the because urban you're helping with that too. Yeah, the Urban Ecology of Community Projects. And that kind of can goes, I can segue back into my um, outro. So this has been What's Left in Albany with Dan Platt, with Laura and Olivia Rose. You can, why don't you tell the folks where you can, they can find you. Thanks, Dan. in contact with you. We are on Facebook, S-E-B-S, South End Butterfly Sanctuary. You can see when Pollinator Day celebration is, when we're having some ecology classes outside, helping with painting, and also we're a nature hub for the CDTA nature free bus out yeah. to outside of, of Albany. It stops there, and then it goes to Five Rivers or Thatcher Park. Mm-hmm. That's that's part of what we're trying to do for for next year. But the hub that but that's part of what we're going to be advertising as well to be a nature center, uh, a nature hub for people to exit and go to other places of of, of ecology. Awesome. Uh, so now to get in touch with me, if you're interested in being on the program or just chatting and being friends. I am Dan Platt. You can find me at 3Left Show slash or What's Left in Albany on Facebook, also on Instagram. And you can uh, contact me through those channels. Let me know if you have any ideas. Otherwise, I implore all to look for a community project around you, or if you see, don't see the project you would like to do, start one yourself. Otherwise, we can work together to find out what is left in Albany. Have a good day and good night. They paid paradise and put up a parking lot with a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot. Got till it's gone. It'd be in paradise. Put up a fucking line. They took all the trees and put them in a tree museum. And they charged the people a dollar and a half to see them. No, no, no. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? It'd be in paradise. And put up a fucking line.
private jet crashed in New Jersey's fabled Pine Barrens minutes after takeoff from Newark Airport. Miraculously, I survived. My parents were not so fortunate. When I came to, I was surrounded by the most enchanting monarch butterflies. In time, they took me in as one of their own. They became my foster parents. These were the halcyon days at play with my butterfly brethren. I learned the mysterious secrets of their ancient ways, supping as their own young do on a steady diet of milkweed thus assuring my toxicity to this day. Then, one fateful morning in September, I remember because it was right around my birthday. I was ecstatic by autumn's approach because it meant the leaves of the trees would be orange enough for me to build even more convincing monarch wings. I awoke and looked for my monarch family, but I couldn't find them. <laughs> 